I own a meteorite that is 4.6 billion years old, and it's a treasure. Wow. Jaws dropped. We both. both. (laughs) Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a desk. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. My name is Bronte Upshaw. I am based in New York City, and I'm reading for Audrey. My name is Joseph Watts. I am based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'm reading for Simon. My name is S.J. Lester. I'm based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee as well, and I'm reading for Mihai. Lights up on a small flat in Paconia. Scene one. Lesson one. Common greetings. In a casual social encounter, like friends you see every day, you might say, hey, or hi, or what's up? That last term I should mention is borrowed from African-American English. You shitting me, right? A white guy say, what's up? In more formal encounters, no, definitely not. (laughs) You might say, hello, how are you, for instance. Hello, how are you? Okay, next lesson. Lesson two, breaking the ice. My name is fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What sort of name is this? Species of leprechaun? No, no. uh, Fill in the blank is not a name, but an instruction, like repeat after me. Fine. I get. Next lesson. Perhaps we should slow down a bit. Try some role plays. Okay. How about I play teacher... And you, unfortunate Paconian student with brilliant mind, full of useless languages from pre-industrial civilization. Maybe then you understand. What are you so angry about, anyway? Nothing. Poconia, poorest country in Europe. Only country named after river and next country. Corrupt government, steal billion dollars from people of Poconia. But teacher is right. Why be angry? Lesson three, uh, the importance of first impressions. This my personal, how you say, speciality. Right. Let's say you go for a job interview. You put on your best suit, shine your shoes, check yourself out in the mirror, and... Simon! Baby boy! Sorry. Baby boy. Teacher have hot date? No, it can't be. Simon! Don't bother hiding the weed. Mother? What are you doing here? Didn't you get my text? Mother? In miniskirt with pierced navel. Ha! Hi, I'm Audrey. What's up? I am Mihai. Any friend of Simon's. Student, not friend. We're in the middle of a lesson. Beautiful name, Audrey, for beautiful woman. Gallantry! Ah, I love it. You're pretty hot yourself. Yes, I am often told this, but not by beautiful foreign woman with how you say... No, no, no. You do not say. This is my mother. Mother, like the Virgin Mary? With S like the gates of heaven. Simon, why didn't you tell me Baconian men were such woman slayers? I'd have shown up sooner. This is why. 
Look, couldn't you come back a bit later? Mihai and I were just starting lesson three. Lesson can wait. It is not every day man meets woman of his dreams. Not just any woman, my mother. I think he copied that baby boy. Since when is family so important to you anyway? You catch some edible thing out here? You come disco dancing with Mihai? Tonight. I pay. You know something, Mihai? Your English sucks. And in case you haven't noticed, this woman, who happens to be my mother, is twice your age. Disco dancing? Cool! What time should I be ready? Eight o'clock. Better you wait on corner. I pick up in black Hyundai Tucson with radial tires. You for real? Mom! Oh, hey, baby boy. You got any music? Oh, it wouldn't hurt to brush up before I hit the disco. Ooh, that and a bubble bath. Why bath? Smell of... how you say? Smell of armpit drive Peconian man wild. Shaves are... That's enough, Mom. Mihai, time's up. That'll be 35 left. Oh, this is bargain. Even for a woman of many years. Mm. For the lesson. The lesson, remember? I pay half. Use rest to pay for disco. Admission, vodka. Sounds reasonable, Simon. Konya is the poorest country in Europe, after all. Whatever. I'll be in my room. Simon exits. Weird guy. Not really. Just sensitive. Oh, faggot, you mean? No, I don't think so. Educated people don't use that word, by the way. It's offensive. I ask pardon. Is political correctness a non-concept here? I mean, don't you care about the disadvantaged and oppressed among you? All Poconia disadvantage. With exception of few who me I kill if not have protection of the mafia. Uh. <laughs> the mafia. What a crack up. Oh, you're hilarious. You know that? <laughs> Must be tough, huh? Why talk? You, beautiful woman. I, viral man. Uh, I, I think you mean virile? V-I-R-I-L-E. English lesson over. Come to me, hi. <laughs> hey, can we slow this down? I get... You think Poconian man, premature ejaculator, is opposite. Countrymen hold the world record for longest erection. 47 hours, 33 minutes, and 59 seconds. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> you almost had me going there. Without Viagra. Damn. I love you, Audrey. It's, it's Audrey. A-U-D-R... Oh, can we try that again? Oh, sweet mystery of life, at last I found you! Young Frankenstein? Remember? It's before your time, huh? Okay, never mind. We get naked now. Mihai undoes the top button of Audrey's blouse. Okay, no, we don't. Not with Simon in the next room. 
inseto, you come to my place, my mother deaf. You can sing all night and no hear nothing. I don't usually sing during sex. It was it was a joke. This whole thing is a joke, right? You do not want Mihai? No. Yes? In, in a strange way, I just might. <laughs> Lights fade. Lights up. Scene two. <sighs> Mom? Mom? Can we talk? Mom? Jesus freaking Christ! Mom, it, it's four o'clock in the morning. What are you doing up? I was just gonna tiptoe in and get my things. Get your things? Come on, okay, so we got off on the wrong foot. You know what? It's cool, baby boy. Just forgive and forget. Here, I'll put your stuff in the guest room, get you a clean towel. That, that's very sweet, but you see, I'm actually- What's up? <laughs> What's he doing here? I come for luggage. <laughs> like night portal. Mom. Well, I thought I'd check up with Mihai and his mother. Get out of your hair. But- don't you want to hang out, pry into my personal life, bust my balls about something? You haven't even told me what you're doing here. Well, since you asked, I started getting that death wish again. It was either hop on a plane or up my beds for the umpteenth time. I'm not hearing this. Since you asked, I got myself knocked up! It's a girl! Wouldn't you just love a baby sister? You can't be serious. What sort of question is that? Does a mother need a reason to pop in on her only son? Mom can't just go off with this Peconian Casanova. Do they test for STDs in this country? Oh, Let go. Okay, boys. You let go. My boys. mother's staying right here. Tell him, Mom. Stop. Abandonment issues? I thought we'd nip that in the bud with EFT. What means EFT? Emotional freedom technique. Freedom being the operative word. Fine. Take your stuff and get out. I, I'm done. Really, baby boy? Isn't that a bit emotional? Dorky bastard baby. What did you just call me? Mom? I was going to tell you... Mihai gathers up Audrey's things. You know, just stop by Mihai sometime and we'll catch up. You can practice your sign language. What? You should get out more. Mix with the locals. When's the last time you got laid? I don't see what that has to do with... An estimated 14.7 billion years ago, a meteorite hit Baconia, broke into a zillion pieces, and melted on contact. Calamities in the air. 
Hurry, Aubrey. Buconian men have insatiable urge to procreate. Coming me high, Eta. <laughs> okay, great seeing you, baby boy. Kiss, kiss. Sure, Mom. About that meteorite, most of it fell in Bohemia. Bohemia, Baconia. What does it matter? Order shift. The one thing a person can count on is... Not much. Right. Lesson tomorrow. You'll remind Mihai? Or not? Lights fade. Lights up. Scene three. It's open. Any more of that? I'm starved. Where's Mihai? Oh, him. I just had to get out of there. He didn't get violent, did he? If he hurt you. Mihai. Kid's gentle as a lamb. You know, his mother wanted him to be a priest, but once his testicles disappeared, it's it was seven all o'clock in the morning, Mom. Thanks for going so well until. Have you met Mihai's mother? You'd hardly know she had a disability the way she keeps Mihai in line. Anyway, we had a few drinks. And How many times has the doctor warned you? You're taking your meds, right? Relax, I'm fine! Sort of. You know, it was an adventure. Sort of. And then? Oh, that. Well, then Mihai proposed marriage. Tell me you said no. Ah, who remembers? I was out of it. I mean, when is the last time I caught some Z's? Wake up! Mom, I need you to tell me that you're not... Aubrey, why you leave Mihai? Please wait at church to perform nuptials. I buy ring. Okay, steal from mother, but... Holding out the ring. Is good, no? Oh, sweet. I can't bear to see a grown man cry. Give me a few minutes to prepare my face and I'll scramble you a couple eggs. Oh, praise the Lord. Can't a woman decompose in peace? I'm 54 years old, for Christ's sakes, and I'm tired of battling gravity. A better ass I never see on woman half your age. Let's be real, baby cakes. I'm bipolar, terrified of getting old, and needed to prove that I could still drive a man to the brink. Friends? You fucked up. You know that. Break heart of Buconian man. Say, you could do some help with your articles. A and V. A and D. I get. Next lesson. See you at three then, buddy? You'll love lesson four. Pick up lines and terms of endearment. And hey, maybe we can go for a beer afterward. Scope out some babes. Sure, teacher. <laughs> 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 
poor guy. Did you love him even a little bit? Uh, who knows anymore? The swings, and now menopause. Not all that different from being hit by a meteorite. Still. Cut your old nether some slack, huh? I empathize with you, with Mihai. But when are you going to grow up, Mom? Are you ever going to grow up? If I knew, baby boy. I'm just sorry that you had to. 275 tons. That's what it weighed, the meteorite. I've got a piece of it right here. Simon holds the meteorite aloft before Audrey's eyes. Wow. Wow. Lights fade. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Lights Up Season 4. We are at Episode 8. We are headed towards the finish line. But today... We are going to talk with the wonderful Jermaine Shames, who is our playwright of a zillion pieces, which is just fun to say because I love having a Z, a zillion pieces. <laughs> <laughs> right, Christy? Um, Jermaine, hello. Thank you for joining us. Well, my pleasure. I'm honored to be here. So we got to listen to Joseph Watts, Bronte Upshaw, and S.J. Lester uh, just breathe life into your piece. What was that like to listen to it without getting to observe actors? And um, what was the history of this piece? Oh, my loaded question. Um, I think the history goes back to a trip I made around Eastern and Central Europe. Uh, that was at a time when the population was so hungry for democracy, so hungry for capitalism, um, but needed to learn English. And I saw a certain tyranny in that. Um, it's easy for us. We were, we've always used the language. We're native English speakers. Uh, and I realized that so much was riding on their ability to acquire the language. That was one piece of it. Uh, the other piece, of course, is the mental health issue uh, presented in this play about how children of parents who are struggling with mental illness often wind up parenting the parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. So those things, yeah, both of those things were very much on my mind as this play came to me. Very profound topics, honestly. I mean, I feel like there's a lot that you can dive into with that. So how, how long ago did you, did you write this? Well, it goes back, I would say, a good five years. But I'm the sort of playwright who rewrites and rewrites right up until curtain. <laughs> um, so I would just say it's been in progress for at least five years. Have you gotten to see it produced before? No, I haven't. And I love the medium of audio. I loved what I heard of the recording uh, directed by Gary and just beautifully acted. 
So happy, happy playwright here. <laughs> That's great to hear. That's what we strive for. <laughs> um, so when you took that trip, um, obviously the socioeconomic state um, of Eastern Europe, right, was one layer. Uh, when did you decide to enter the, the, why did you decide to roll in the mental um, health issues with this particular play? Um, because at first the two topics may seem unrelated. Most of my work is like that. Um, things just suddenly converge. Most likely I, yeah, most likely I just sort of set the scene and in walked this bipolar mother with her pierced navel. You know, it was nothing planned. I'm not particularly analytical. I just went with my gut. Hmm. So characters, sorry, Christy. You go, you go, go. So characters, we've, you know, over the years of us interviewing, everybody has a different process. Um, So it sounds like characters kind of walk in for you, start talking to you. Is that correct? Could you talk to us a little more about how you, um, if you're not a planner, how you build out a plot and characters? Yes. Um, Well, if I have a process, it's oblivion. Usually (laughs) what happens is I, I would say I write in a very light trance state Um, Let whatever wants to come in, come in. And it's really later that I figure out, what do I have here? You know, where are the story beats? Uh, Is there ample conflict? Does it resolve in some way? Um, Is the ending satisfying? You know, but those are questions for later on. I was going to ask Jermaine how you got started as a playwright. Oh my. Well, I have done so many, so many types of writing. Um, I started as a journalist, became exasperated with that, so wrote my first novel, uh, wrote a number of novels, decided to try my hand at screenwriting, wrote a number of screenplays, Uh, had difficulty with the culture of the film world, at least Mm -hmm. at that time. And that was when I crossed over to try theater. The very first thing that I wrote was a Broadway-scale musical. I was very grandiose in my aspirations. Um, But I've never looked back and never had a single regret because theater has given me a community. Were you interested in theater as a young person in high school and college, you know, or did that come post-journalistic world? You were done with that. You wanted to completely turn over a new leaf or was theater something that was always kind of in you? Uh, Well, I attended an experimental university many, many years ago, and we were told that people like Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs would be there to teach creative writing. 
So that was my intended major. Um, Ginsburg didn't show up. Burroughs showed up, but was too high to really <laughs> hold any <laughs> coherent class. Um, but we did have a theater department there that was one of the stronger aspects of this crazy university. Um, and so I just gravitated there for lack of, um, yeah, lack of a stronger major at, at that moment in that place. So it sounds like a lot of it's intuition based. You you write off your intuition in, in a trans state. You felt drawn to the theater. So it sounds like this was always a part of you. Um, most definitely. And, you know, but at times I was pulled out of it by my practical self. I did have a brief corporate career. Uh, I cringe at the thought of it. It feels like another lifetime. Yeah. But the inner... The inner narrator was always there. You know, I've just, from a very, very young age, I could, something was in me whispering in my ear. Mm, I love that. I wanted to ask Jermaine a little bit about your writing process um, and getting to know your characters, how you kind of develop these voices that you write. What, what is that process like for you? Indescribable. It's, uh, again, you know, I feel like I just, every morning, I kind of let the universe know that I'm open for business. I roll out of bed, I go to my computer, um, and anything and anyone that wants to come in is welcome. And do you ever find yourself um, kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, Frankensteining some of your plays. We have some playwrights who keep journals of like names they like or lines that they like or whatnot. But it sounds like if you're free flow writing, do you ever start saying, oh, this story actually is telling this or that? Do you ever, or is it mostly that when you write, you've, you've found a world that stays complete? Um, it really varies from piece to piece. I'm sitting at a very large desk that once belonged to Conrad Hilton. And I probably have 500 scraps of paper strewn all over the desk. So ideas are constantly coming to me. I jot things down and they get lost in this heap uh, that just keeps growing and growing. And then when the time is right, something from the heap reappears, perhaps. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, I look for reasons to try to talk myself out of new story ideas. And if I can't talk myself out of it and it sticks, I resign myself and go for it. I love that. I feel like that's when you know that there's that specific story you're meant to tell or that specific calling you're meant to answer. I love that. Do you feel like this is a story that you would want to expand into a larger piece or you feel like it, it accomplishes exactly what you want it to? Um, someone could twist my arm. I mean, I, I love the characters. <laughs> I love the situation. Um, it could almost be a sitcom. Um, but this was actually part of a triptych 
So there are two other plays also about uh, teaching English in Eastern and Central Europe. So I and think... Simon, go ahead, please. I was just going to ask if Simon was a, a part of... Uh, do we, are we following Simon or um, are, is it just a uh, peek at each different um, version of teaching English? We do follow Simon. And yet, somehow in every piece, Simon ends up effacing himself a bit, um, you know, more of an anti-hero than a, a big imposing figure. Mm. Which I love as a nod to kind of the everyday person, truly, you know, in that we are the we are all flawed protagonists, if you will, you know, <laughs> is that, is that an okay way to say that? Very much so. There's, there's times it's real easy to root for us and there's times where it's harder to root for us, but hopefully somebody somewhere is rooting for us <laughs> at all times. <laughs> I would love to ask about the, um, rewind device that you use in a zillion pieces. Um, uh, I mean, I'm going to throw a couple questions at you about this and you can choose to answer whichever ones you'd like, but I'm curious um, how that came to you, if that's used throughout the triptych or is that something that's specific to Audrey? Um, where did that device come from? I wish I could tell you. Um, I have only used it in this one play. I think what it does is make visible an inner process. You know, at every juncture of a play, we're faced with choices. So rather than just choose one in this particular play, I laid out um, all of the possibilities at each critical juncture. Yeah, it's like a, a little bit of a, like, I'm you know, that movie, Sliding Doors, that Sliding Doors effect of like, Oh, it could have gone this way and it could have gone this way, which for an actor is really fun to play, I will say. It, it reminds me of that improv game. I don't know if you are all familiar with that, but you're doing a scene and, and someone says ding or rings a bell and you have to change the last word you said to have a different choice in the scene. Um, and that's always fun because it reminds you of possibility. So for, I'm sure the actors really appreciate that moment too. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I love actors. I love to challenge them when I can. Um, I love getting feedback from them. You know, I think that they have been a very large component of my theater education. Mm. Do you feel like there are either playwrights or even specific actors who influence the way that you do your work or approach your work? Mm, there are playwrights who I admire. I, I'm not sure how much of an influence they've been on me. I would need a, a critic to, to analyze that for me. But Sarah Rule jumps to mind. Yeah, amazing female playwright. Great yes. one to emulate <laughs> and admire. <laughs> I, I would love to know, too, you mentioned um, getting feedback and, and learning from actors. 
in your career as a playwright, have you had a chance to be in the room? Um, you mentioned you like to rewrite up until opening night. Have you had a chance to be in the room and kind of devise with the actors and be a part of the rehearsal process? And if so, would you mind talking about that, talking about the play and how that process went for you? Um, I've been very fortunate to, um, I've been workshopped a number of times. Um, I've worked with some great theaters, some great directors. I, I think I have gotten very good at receiving feedback. Um, I listen deeply and I am very slow to get on the defensive um, I've, I've realized that theater is a collaborative venture. I'm getting better at letting go. And what does that do for your work? Um, I would assume someone who kind of just gives themselves over to the creative process. Um, how does that then affect when you're in the room with the actors and getting these rewrites? That's that's definitely more directed and specific than when you originally started the creation process. So um, how does how does that affect you? Because that's certainly a different way of working. Yes. Um, well, a playwright still needs to filter the feedback that comes in. Um, some is going to be more valuable than other feedback. Um, I like to sit quietly with feedback I'm not someone, I would be miserable in a medium like television, you know, where people are, are improvising on the spot and you're never alone. You know, for me, the process begins alone and ends alone. And what happens in between, um, I'm very open to what form that takes. But in the end, I need to sit quietly with the feedback, with my work, remember what my first inspiration was and stay true to that. You seem very thoughtful and intentional with, with your words, with your um, comments, if you will, which I so admire because I, you know, words are a weapon. Once, once they're shot off, you can't take them back. Is this, is this something that has developed out of experience through writing um, in terms of your, um, I don't know, just, just the beautiful rhythm with which you even respond and, and share your thoughts. I'd, have you always been this way or was, or did this develop through experience? Um, I suspect that this has been with me for quite a while. I'm an introvert. I was going to say that this comes of solitude you know, I can go weeks and not have a conversation like this. So, and these are questions I've never been asked. That's so lovely. You're really taking them in, which also means uh, you're a wonderful listener. <laughs> and I think um, in order to be a good writer and storyteller, you really have to listen and be attuned to the world around you. So um, I think that's a beautiful quality to have and cultivate. Oh, so, thank you so much, Dana. How did you hear about us, Jermaine? How did you find out about Lights Up? Oof. 
through the theater digital grapevine. Uh, I don't remember which platform right now I follow so many. But there was something very appealing. Um, I did listen to a great many past episodes of Lights Up and admired them very much. Um, I'm getting more and more selective about the theaters with which I work. Um, and definitely um, your theater is one that, you know, I would hope to work with again. Did you know any of the playwrights that we've featured on Lights Up thus far? Are you familiar with any of them or do you have any writing groups? Yeah, um, I, I vaguely recall recognizing at least one name right now. It's... Um, Right now, it's lost in the the land of brain fog. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, completely. Uh, speaking of um, following different uh, playwright groups and things like that, we've discussed how you kind of come from a place of solitude and listening and really thinking. Um, but when it comes to putting your work out there, uh, how do you personally go about that? We've talked to many different playwrights and everyone has their own process. You've mentioned you've become more selective. So could you take us through that a little bit of how um, you you submit and put your work out there? Well, a strong query letter um, is worth investing time in. I do quite a bit of online research um, I study each theater's production history. I see, you know, anything that's available to watch digitally. Um, I take the time to watch and study. I do notice uh, what playwrights are being produced where. Um, and then, you know, I target a dozen, two dozen, um, and try to pitch them my very best work. And then, you know, most often I'm either ignored or rejected um, multiple times before my work actually gets an acceptance. Um, so it's really a, a matter for me of persistence, perseverance, um, not taking rejection personally, not being discouraged by it, just reaching higher and higher. Yeah. And it sounds like you are submitting to theaters that you have an interest in, a, a vested interest in, or that you feel like would be a good match for your work. You're not really casting a wide net, but you're casting a very, um, you know, qualified net. Yeah, <laughs> Pointed exactly. specifically. Exactly, Dana. If if their mission statement doesn't resonate for me, then there's really no point in my pursuing that theater. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. What is it you hope um, an audience walks away thinking or feeling um, after after a piece like a zillion pieces? I think I am 
trying more than anything, particularly right now, uh, to foster compassion and empathy. Mm. You know, as you said, my characters are flawed. Hopefully their flaws make them relatable. Um, And I would hope, particularly with this play, that people take it in at least as much with their heart as with their head. Mm. Gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Christy and I both gave a good mmm after that. That, that, That's in our hearts for sure. (laughs) Um, I would love to, since we're back on the topic of a zillion pieces, ask about the meteorite. Clearly, you know, we have this tangible, big meteorite crash that is in parallel with Audrey and her life, but I was actually very curious um, which idea might have come first. Is that something that really happened? Like, how did you decide to to parallel those those two things together? I think at the time I was, my guess, I you know, I don't recall this clearly, but my guess is that I was doing research on this region or on this specific country. Um, and a pop that meteorite. And, you know, then it suggested a number of metaphors in my imagination. Um, and I ran with it. Mm. So it really did. The Big Bang happened first for you in this play. And uh, Audrey, Audrey came later. <laughs> Which I do love that name, Audrey. That's a wonder. I just adore that name. Me too. Well, and it reminds me of Little Shop of Horrors because we have another, you know, Audrey, but this is like the flip side of the coin here. We don't, she is, she's not a weak, helpless woman, but she is flawed, you know, and you can't help but root for her. In Little Shop of Horrors, you know, she's the one being taken advantage of, but here in A Zillion Pieces, she's perhaps maybe at times taking advantage of some hearts. So it's a nice little flip. Yeah, I, I I see it that there's no one ill-intentioned in this play. There are some hard feelings, though. Um, yeah. But everyone is just basically trying to get by. You know, Simon, his mother, and poor Mihai. Um, we're in a very, you know, we're in a time of acceleration and... Um, very drastic events. So I, yeah, my heart goes out to all of my characters. I mean, I think that's the way it should be. And we've heard so many playwrights say that, that, you know, they love all of their characters, even the villains, even the tough ones, right? They, you know, there's something lovable. And we've been talking a lot about the um, humanity of the characters this season. And, and like you said earlier, Christy, it's, it's the flaws that make them human, that make these characters relatable and human. So, you know, you can't help but love them, Mm -hmm. flaws and all. (laughs) Right. To me, like in any kind of relationship that you're not known until you are known for your flaws. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I actually also heard it once said, and I thought it was a beautiful thing of you don't know someone until you know their goals and aspirations. And I thought how true that also is, because that's a very, that's another very intimate thing. Sometimes we are shy with those, those dreams and goals or whatever that we have for ourselves or selective who we share them with. And just that concept of intimacy and, um, but yeah, so the, the, the flaws of someone are, I don't know where, where true knowing someone starts, I think. Hmm. If that's okay to say. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it does feel like Simon's trying to know Audrey because he is asking her, you know, when are you going to grow up? He's asking her a, a deep kind of cutting question and she responds with, I don't know. And then she has the apology. She acknowledges, she acknowledges one of her flaws, um, which I, I love that you have that moment at the end um, that she actually acknowledges she's, and that's where I think the, the real tone of non-malice comes in that she acknowledges, I know I'm a mess and I'm sorry. And there's that feeling of, but I love you for loving me anyway moment, really. I'm so happy that came across, you know, and that was something I, I'd like to err on the side of restraint. Mm -hmm. So I, it's subtle, but apparently it landed. So I'm thrilled. Yeah, I think we don't need to smack anybody in the face with anything. I think it was really well conveyed, both in your script and, and by our actors. Well, Miss Dana, I think I went down my list of questions. How about you? I did too. We got so many wonderful, thoughtful answers that I'm just like, oh my gosh, yes, more than I even anticipated. Me too. Yeah. And they were all surprising. I don't know that I've ever been asked most of these questions. Oh, oh. Glad well, to hear that. <laughs> Hopefully, yes, hopefully that is a testament to how much we like to invest in our playwrights and getting to know their um, their backstories, their process, their history. I mean, we, we love these conversations and we relish in them. So um, hopefully that that comes across as well. <laughs> oh, it most definitely does. Well, and as you said before, for a lot of playwrights, this creation starts in solitude and often ends in solitude. So one of our goals here is to kind of pull our beautiful playwrights out of their solitude and, and have a conversation and literally shine a light, bring the lights up on them for a moment. So um, again, thank you. Well, <laughs> you go beyond 100% to make it a positive experience for us playwrights. And that's rare. Well, good. We have we have a few more things to, to maybe go beyond and go a little deeper. Um, we have three questions that we always ask our playwrights that we'll, we'll wrap up with. But before we do that, um, we love to hand over the metaphorical microphone to you where you can list any social media handles, um, websites, uh, if you're on New Play Exchange, just any way that our listeners can follow you, keep up with your work, or read and purchase your work. So we will hand that over to you right now. 
I am on all of the usual uh, social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm probably forgetting a couple. Um, LinkedIn. I do have a website, uh, Jermaine Writes. You can also find me on the New Play Exchange. Amazing. And your website is Jermaine Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. Is that .com? Um, it's .wix.com slash buzz. All right. Perfect. So we'll make sure that we include some, some links and posting to that. All right. Our first question is, is there a word that you either love to say, maybe you'd love to hear it, it's, or it's a word that you love to include when you're writing? Just some, a word that delights you for any reason in particular. My word of the moment is serendipity. <laughs> That's a dreamy word. I love that word. Me too. Good word. Good movie. Good, good place for dessert in New York City. And was also the name of a character in a book that from the an 80s like children's series that my mom used to read to me and all her students. My mom was a teacher. And it was about this like hot pink sea creature named Serendipity who um, helped keep the oceans clean. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find it. I think it's on my bookshelf. But anyway, love that word. Question number two is, do you have a favorite or most adored, special, nostalgic place that you love? Was that place? Yes, place. <laughs> I love my own environs. I live in the Sonoran Desert. As we're speaking, I'm looking out at the towering saguaro cacti, big sky. I'm surrounded by mountains. Um, it's as good a place as any other. And John maybe also said the desert was one of his favorite places. So, yes, deeply connect with that. Absolutely. I still say there's no sunset like a desert sunset. They're the most beautiful. Oh, just their next level. All right. The final question is if you have an item that is particularly nostalgic for you, it's, um, it could be something small or large, but it's just, it's, it's a nostalgic item. It's a favorite item. It's a keepsake. Well, this very much ties in with a zillion pieces. I own a meteorite that is 4.6 billion years old, and it's a treasure. Wow. Jaws dropped. <laughs> I know we both, we, both <laughs> we, we, could have, we could have caught fireflies in there. Oh, my gosh. How amazing is that story? I love that. And did you acquire this before or after a zillion pieces? I acquired it while a zillion pieces was in progress. That's perfect. 
I'm so glad we asked that question. That's the perfect, <laughs> that's the most perfect answer we've ever heard. It is. <laughs> well, we've said it once. We'll say it a zillion times. Um, thank you for joining us, Jermaine. Thank you for being a part of the Lights Up family mm-hmm. now and forever. We really appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in Southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Cola Giovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ATC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Because of this program, Humanities Tennessee is able to provide $941,454 to 91 organizations throughout the state. The purpose of SHARP grants is to support jobs in the humanities, keep humanities organizations open, and assist the field in its response to and recovery from the needs created or exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. These grants may focus on humanities projects or leveraging operational support stemming from the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic. They may also help organizations plan for the future and begin the long process of response and recovery to the pandemic. ETC and the Lights Up podcast would like to thank Humanities Tennessee and the National Endowment for the Humanities for this amazing opportunity.